Uppsala Podcast Episode 9, Dan Grossman on Garbage Collection and Transactional Memory. Welcome to the Uppsala Podcast. The Uppsala Podcast brings you up to speed on topics covered at this year's Uppsala Conference, which takes place in October 2007 in Montreal, Canada. The Uppsala Podcast is co-produced with Software Engineering Radio and Dim Sum Thinking. In this episode, we are talking to Dan Grossman. Dan wrote a paper for this year's essay track. In this paper, he sketches an analogy between garbage collection and transactional memory. Note that a more extensive version of this interview is available at Software Engineering Radio. I'm your host, Markus Völter. Dan, welcome. Thank you. So, Dan, uh, before we actually uh, dig into the topic, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Sure. I'm Dan Grossman. I'm a, a faculty member at the University of Washington in Seattle, and I uh, joined the faculty here about four years ago after finishing my PhD at Cornell University. Before that, I was a university student at Rice University in Texas, and uh, my background has always been in programming languages, uh, particularly uh, safe languages, languages for increasing robustness and software quality. I uh, used to work more on low-level languages, uh, mm -hmm. C-like languages, where you mm -hmm. want to uh, implement an operating system or low-level sort of systems code. And more recently, I've become very interested in concurrency and trying to make programming easier for multi-core architectures and sort of the, the mass parallel programming that uh, we're told is on the horizon. Mm -hmm. Okay, and uh, and in at this year's Uppsala, you have got a paper about transactional memory and garbage collection. So, can you give us a brief introduction about what transactional memory is all about and what it's used for? Sure. Uh, transactional memory is the idea that your memory operations—you you, know—a memory is just things you you know you can read from locations and write to locations. Mm -hmm. And typically, if you're down in assembly language or even up in a language like Java. You do individual reads and writes, and as soon as you do them, anything that's happening concurrently, another thread or whatever, could, could see those. There's only sort of one memory, and it works at the granularity of individual reads and writes. With transactional memory, you just have the ability to group a collection of reads and writes into a transaction, very much like you can group a bunch of database operations into a transaction in the database setting with persistent storage. But now we're really dealing with program state with, with volatile memory. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can group them together. And by grouping them together, you guarantee that either all of them happen or none of them happen, and that any uh, concurrent observer sees all of the updates at the same time. Mm -hmm. So your, your claim in the paper is that transactional memory is to shared memory concurrency as garbage collection is to memory management. So let's first uh, recap garbage collection, how it works, and, and, and things like the basic idea, the different algorithms, so we can connect to that when we talk about tra transactional memory later. I think that's a great idea. And, and maybe something else I could say even before that mm -hmm. is that this is a, an essay, which is a slightly different kind of paper yeah. uh, at UPSA. So there aren't... Uh, 
you know, nothing we'll talk about or nothing in the paper is necessarily a new technical result. Sure. Yeah. It's really a new perspective. This analogy is not something that's been uh, focused on before or even said before. So this is a really a, a reorganization of existing knowledge. Yep. So to do that, you really have to start from the beginning, and you have to uh, uh, give a, a perspective on, you know, what is garbage collection. And, you know, uh, I don't, you know, you can sort of take the view of, oh, well, it's that feature that means you never have to write freeze and you don't have any space leaks and you don't have any dangling pointer dereferences. But uh, if you take a step back, uh, that's all true. But really what garbage collection is, is a language mechanism uh, by which the runtime system can reuse space in a way that the programmer can never tell. Mm -hmm. You know, from a language definition perspective, in a language like Java, all you do is allocate new objects and they live forever. Mm -hmm. um, and it's up to the garbage collector to maintain that illusion while actually reusing memory. Mm -hmm. And the key approximation that it uses, and I think it's important to realize it's an approximation, is this idea of reachability. Okay? The way garbage collectors work from 35,000 feet is it looks at all the variables you're still using in your program, everything on your call stack and all your global variables, your static fields, and it sees what objects uh, those point to, and then what objects the fields of those objects point to, and so on transitively. Mm -hmm. And it keeps all of that, and it collects everything else, which it calls the garbage. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I call it an approximation is this can lead to keeping objects around longer than necessary. Right. And so, you know, for example, if you put a very large data structure in a global variable and never use the global variable again, uh, you're just wasting space, and yep. there's nothing that garbage collectors can do about it. Okay. So um, now that we talked about GC, garbage collection, as an introduction, let's now look at an introduction to concurrency and, and uh, transactional memory. Sure. So what I did in, in, in this analogy is really assume from the beginning shared memory concurrency. So people who are more familiar with uh, message passing or coordination languages, there's a lot of models of parallel programming. Erlang is becoming quite hyped these days with its actor-based pure message passing thing. Absolutely. And I'm actually a, a pretty big fan of things like message passing languages. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, that's a topic for another day. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, for today, I'm really imagining uh, really the parallelism model we have in, in modern object-oriented languages like Java, which is you have multiple threads. A thread can create a new thread. These are separate uh, bits of control. You might have multiple running at the same time, or you might be time slicing, one, running one for a little while and then running another. And the way they communicate, because it's, it's it, you know, multi-threaded programming is not interesting until the threads communicate, yeah. is one thread writes some data to a location and another thread reads that location. And that's exactly what we mean uh, by shared memory. Mm -hmm. And then the next step is, well, how do they coordinate, right? How, do you, how does one thread know that the value has been written? How does another thread, uh, how do you keep two threads from writing to the same location at the same time? And to me, in, in general, that's what you have uh, synchronization mechanisms for. And it's, it's all the things uh, one learns about typically in an undergraduate operating systems course. Yep. Locks, monitors, semaphores, all yep. of those things. Yep. Yep. And you need something like that. And it's a classic result of parallel computing that given one, you can typically code up all the others. But you need something to, the way I like to think of it, is restrict uh, the interleavings of different threads. 
Mm-hmm. Right. You need to make sure that if one thread is stopped at a particular point right between two statements, uh, and that can happen, that another thread won't proceed to uh, read the partial results of some computation that isn't finished yet. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's get to the meat of the matter, I guess, and talk about the analogy between garbage collection and transactional memory. So... Um, Maybe I should briefly uh, explain how, how you wrote the paper to end, and then <laughs> explain the challenge of doing that on the podcast. Um, sure. So, so what Dan actually did was he wrote a bunch of paragraphs on different aspects of garbage collection and then basically took the wording of these paragraphs literally and exchanged a couple of nouns. The idea was to, to have uh, basically take exactly the same text and just explain uh, exchange a couple of nouns and verbs and, and take exactly the same structure to explain uh, transactional memory and concurrency. And you advise that people should read this stuff twice, once to understand, and then the second time to, to see, the, to see the, 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 well, the correspondence between the two. And of course, we can't do that in the podcast. So we have to... That's right. the, the analogy might not show as nice nicely as in the paper when we discuss these things now. Well, I'm, I'm certainly comfortable with the, the conversation throwing out some of the interesting ideas, and, and, then, and then, of course, you're right, it is the sort of thing that uh, is, is best done from reading it, although right. this idea of an analogy, uh, just like you explained it, is for an analogy to make sense, I have to convince you that I'm saying true things mm-hmm. about both. I'm true. saying things about garbage collection you agree with, and I'm saying things about transactional memory that you agree with. And then I have a third obligation, you know, true things on one side, true things on the other side, yeah. which is that those things are so similar in structure that something deep is going on. Yeah. So and so what, what we'll do now is we'll step through these dif- different aspects you've been looking at, and we'll put, of course, the link to the paper into the show notes so the people who want to look, look at your actual uh, at the document to see how this really plays out very nicely uh, can actually read this stuff, of course. So um, let's look at the, the two problems and how they are similar. Sure. So uh, we've already, I think, talked about it on the transactional memory side, but we'll do both. Um, so the problem with doing memory management, and you have to think back to programming in C or C++ without a garbage collector, uh, and think about when you were really thinking about uh, memory management, is that you're trying to use as little memory as possible because you don't want to run out of space or use so much space that your program is sluggish or consumes a lot of resources. But if you use too little, your program will actually be wrong, right? So on the one hand, you have uh, uh, space leaks or space exhaustion. You're keeping around too much memory, and you have a performance problem. On the other hand, you have dangling pointer dereferences. If you deallocate memory before you're actually done with it, then your program is completely wrong. Mm-hmm. So you have to uh, balance this correctness, keeping memory around as long as you need it, and performance, not keeping it around any longer. Mm-hmm. So that's the memory management side. And let's see if I can uh, switch to the, transa- to the concurrency side. Yeah. And this is something we talked about before, but it's worth repeating sure. right next to it. Yeah. You're going to do the analogy, yeah. which is you're trying to have as much parallelism as possible. Let multiple threads run at the same time. And if you don't have enough of that, you're not actually writing a parallel program. You end up having the performance problem of really only one thread running at a time, or if you're even worse than that, deadlocking and not having any threads running at all. Mm -hmm. So you want to try to keep as much parallelism as possible from a performance angle, but if you have too much, 
you end up with race conditions, multiple threads uh, stomping on the same memory at the same time, and then your program is typically not correct. Uh, you end up reading uh, two parts of a value that don't make sense together and things like that. So we have the same dilemma of if we do uh, too much in this, uh, on the performance side, we'll give up correctness. And if we work too hard for correctness, we'll end up giving away the very performance advantages we are trying to achieve by going for parallelism. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think uh, even in the way you, you talked about it now, the, the analogy Uh, shines through. Really cool. Um, let, let's go to the, to the next aspect, which is the solution. In one case, garbage collection. In the other case, uh, transactional memory. When you go to solve uh, either of these problems manually, you end up using pretty subtle protocols, protocols that all of the code in your application has to obey. So on the memory management side, uh, Maybe if you're doing it manually, you have an extra field in each object with a reference count or whether it's still needed or you tightly control what can point to what else so that you know when you're done with something. And when you implement a garbage collector, if you ever have, it turns out you do all those same things. You have subtle protocols. All of the memory in your system is laid out in a certain way. There'll be header fields. There'll be uh, uh, certain uh, bits that are set to one if you're done with something and zero if you're not. So all of these subtle whole program protocols are there, but they're not uh, part of the program. They're now part of the runtime system where uh, people who devote their lives to writing good garbage collectors and are real domain-specific experts in that can get it right exactly once. Mm -hmm. um, now, they don't know anything about your application, which is the challenge. You know, anytime you try to have a one-size-fits-all yeah. solution, it's not going to be specially tuned to the application, uh, but they know how to write garbage collectors. And so then for transactional memory, it's the same idea that now what we want to do is we want to somehow keep track of are these two transactions accessing the same memory? And the other thing transactions have to do is they have to have some way to take multiple updates to memory and export them all at the same time. And the protocols in doing that are extremely subtle and involve all of the code in the application uh, doing the same thing and doing it correctly. But again, uh, we have experts, uh, people who have developed these algorithms and can implement them once and for all and, and get them right. Mm -hmm. Okay. And also, both cases aren't useful in every, in every scenario. They are incomplete solutions in some sense, right? Yeah. Uh, And, you know, I think garbage collection is great, and I don't want to come across as uh, saying anything otherwise, and the same for transactional memory. But uh, certainly, once you understand the approximations that these systems make, you can understand that I can certainly write programs where they do very, very poorly. So in garbage collection, um, remember, this key approximation is reachable. Whatever is still reachable will stay live. And any time that's a bad match for what should stay live, any time you have an application where a bunch of live things, uh, reachable things, are no longer needed, uh, programmers should really get involved and somehow make those things not reachable, mm -hmm. either by using uh, special language features like weak pointers yep. or simply going in and adjusting their data structures quite manually to make things no longer reachable. And when you start going down that path, uh, you realize that you're reintroducing the problems of manual memory management. Yes. Suddenly the programmer has to get that just right, and they have yeah. to adjust their data structure to make things not reachable, uh, not too soon, or they'll be incorrect, and not too late, or the data will stay around. Yeah. 
And I have a, a little example in the paper, in fact, that says, if you were a very, very stubborn Java programmer who really wanted to do manual memory management, you can do it. Uh, you can set up arrays of objects, yep. and when you're done with an object, put it back in the array, uh, and things like that, and, and you really uh, regain all of the difficulties of, of manual memory management. Yeah, and, and that's something that, that you might actually want to do in, in, in embedded or real-time systems where it's important that the amount of memory is, is uh, well, it's constant and is also known in advance when the system is built or deployed. That's absolutely right. And I've even seen situations and people who write garbage collectors uh, don't like when programmers do this, but I've certainly seen uh, programs where for certain very performance-critical uh, 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 classes and, and algorithms, people will do things like have an array of packet objects sure. and simply cycle through it reusing the same packet object memory rather than constantly creating new packet objects and freeing them and, and, and going around the loop. And it really depends on your system and your garbage collector. Um, people often have the intuition that that improves performance. Uh, it really depends on the system. They're, they're often not correct, yeah, uh, yeah. But, but it depends. Okay. TM side? So on the transactional memory side, we have an approximation that is the analogy of this reachability approximation, and that is that uh, we don't let two transactions proceed in parallel if they have a memory conflict. And that almost means access the same memory. It turns out that as long as they're both just reading the same memory, we typically uh, allow parallelism yep. in that case. But if there's a read-write or write-write conflict, we will not allow them to both proceed. Uh, and there are situations where that is unnecessarily conservative. Uh, for example, uh, if they are both just uh, incrementing some counter that's just used to, uh, say, generate unique identifiers, it doesn't really matter that they conflict. Uh, one of them writes two to the counter, the next one writes three, the next one writes four. It doesn't really matter. But from the system's perspective, from the implementer of the transactional memory, it doesn't know that. It sees that because of this uh, conflict, uh, one thread saw the value 3 when it should have gotten the, the value 2. And in some sense, only the application can know that it doesn't matter yeah. whether it saw 2 or 3. It yeah. just has to be a unique value. Mm -hmm. And then I go ahead and show that the extreme case, just like a Java programmer uh, can regain the pluses and minuses of manual memory management, someone programming with transactional memory can write a lock class, can go ahead and implement locks on top of transactional memory, and then choose to program in terms of method calls like acquire <laughs> lock and release lock. Yep. Uh, and, uh, and then they'll have the same uh, race conditions and deadlock potentials in their application that they had before. Mm -hmm. Very nice. So I think these, these three aspects, the problem, solutions, and the incompleteness of the solution is probably, well, from my perspective, it's the core of the analogy. So here is the $1 million question. <laughs> What's the point of the analogy? Why did you write the paper? Why did I write the paper? For a couple reasons. Uh, one is that I think it's, uh, it will really help with research. Okay? That once you have an analogy, uh, it can motivate new ideas. Mm -hmm. Right, you you know, I look on the garbage collection side, and I see generational garbage collection, an idea from the early to mid '80s that has been extremely important in efficient garbage collection implementation techniques. And I don't yet see something on the transactional memory side. And if writing this paper can inspire someone 
to come up with something just as important on transactional memory by thinking, what is, you know, what is the thing on the other side? I, I think that would be a huge advance. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this idea of of using an analogy, even an informal one, to come up with new ideas is something I think humans do all the time. And and I wanted to share this one so that other people uh, could come up with ideas. Um, less important reasons are, um, I think it can help uh, explain transactional memory. Absolutely. You know, just to understand what it is. It's a new thing. A lot of yeah. people know about garbage collection. Maybe this will help them understand some of the limitations of and benefits of transactional memory. It worked for me. <laughs> and the final reason I have to admit is once I, I saw all these connections, I just thought this was you know one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen, seen in computer science, and, and I wanted to share it. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I recommend readers, uh, listeners to become readers and, and uh, <laughs> read the paper. Um, sure. From the analogy, you also risked a couple of possible predictions about hardware support and other stuff, right? Right. So I have a section in the page. You know, we've talked really about um, the technical stuff, you know, coding yeah. and software engineering and, and really the, the theory of garbage collection and transactional memory. Um, but then I said, you know... Uh, There's some other things we can say about garbage collection that might or might not be true about transactional memory. One is, uh, you know, a lot of time, uh, if you go back a couple decades or, or three or four decades, people felt that garbage collection was very slow and absolutely needed hardware support. The old Lisp machine had yeah. hardware support for garbage collection. <clears throat> and uh, people don't feel that way anymore. And so perhaps if we push the analogy a little too far, people will someday feel that transactional memory doesn't uh, need hardware support either. I just kind of throw that out almost to be provocative. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the second one is that, you know, we had the basic garbage collection algorithms figured out uh, in the 1960s. And I say we in the general sense. I, I sure. wasn't even born yet. <laughs> and yet, you know, garbage collection in the mainstream, we're really talking the 1990s. Um, and so, unfortunately, we may need to be prepared for transactional memory to take a slower road to mainstream adoption than, than many of us would like. Mm-hmm. Sad message, but probably realistic. Yeah. But, you know, I'm actually, even though I say that in the paper, I'm, I'm actually optimistic. You know, there's uh, all the new high-performance computing languages, yeah. uh, Chapel from Cray, X10 from IBM, and Fortress from Sun. All three of them have an idea of transactions and yep. atomic statements in their draft yep. languages. Yep. And so, you know, uh, 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 should those languages take on, and I, I take off, and I think oh, they're all very interesting, uh, I think transactions will, will, will get out pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, that was really, really cool. Very interesting. Is there anything um, I should have asked you but didn't? Uh, maybe I'd just emphasize again, uh, this analogy uh, is really all about perspective and about taking a big step back. And yeah. uh, But the actual research that's making transactional memory happen has been done by a lot of really, really great people um, a lot of colleagues of mine, and, and if this analogy can kind of serve to help uh, 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 popularize or, or make available some of their work, then, then that's another advantage of it. Uh, you know, th- this was, this was uh, uh, an insight and an essay that's sort of really me having the chance to take a step back, um, and, and, and it was really fun to do and fun to talk yep. about with you, and I'll yep. have fun talking about it at Uppsala. Yep. And, uh, but we've got a lot more... Uh, Uh, down and dirty work to do too and uh, and we're doing that as well okay Dan thank you very much for being on the show you're welcome
Thank you for listening to the Uppsala podcast. If you want to know more about the Uppsala conference or if you want to get additional Uppsala podcast episodes, visit the conference website at uppsala.org. This episode, as well as all the other episodes of the Uppsala podcast, are licensed under a Creative Commons license. The intro and outro music is by a band called The Plugs. The song is called Go East. <laughs>